one reason I always enjoy coming here is because I don't ever get this opportunity to speak to this many children. And so I'm always uh, impacted by that. And, and uh, my father always, I remember him saying several times about, he was asked one time about we need to take care of our children because they're the future of the church. And he said, no, they're not. He said, the children are the church today. Right. They're part of the church today. They're every bit. We bring them into the church service. We don't segregate them out. We think they need to come into the uh, congregation and meet with the congregation and hear the same doctrine. And he took it from John chapter 21 where Jesus told Apostle Peter about feed my sheep and feed my lambs. Feed the, the children and the adults. Same man to feed them both. You don't segregate them off and have one person teach the children, another person teach the adults. He said they all... All the sheep and lambs can eat from the same trough. So a minister should, in exercise of his duty, preach and take care and address the children of the church the same way he does the adults. So I, I enjoy speaking to children. I always try to have something for them. I always felt like uh, when I was growing up, sometimes I felt like the uh, uh, preachers would many times preach to the preachers and they preach over my head, and I didn't really understand what they were doing. And so... I've tried to make an attempt over the period of time when I have some children in the congregation to speak, hopefully, to them and address it toward them. I brought with me some paper with me this morning. It's nothing but a blank piece of paper. When I was in the fifth grade, I won a contest. Not the kind of contest sponsored by the school or by the teachers, and in fact, they didn't probably really appreciate the contest that I won. But all of the boys in the class, we got into a contest making paper airplanes. And I won the contest. I ended up spending time over the school year. I probably spent way too much time doing this rather than studying, which I don't recommend. You need to make sure you pass and get out. But I, uh, so I spent time learning how to make paper airplanes. And I got where by the end of the year, I could had, I, I would come and bring school with me different varieties of paper airplanes and so I got what I could do, I forget, 10 or 12 different styles of paper airplanes that would fly. So I wanted to come and kind of show you this is something I make and so when I make a paper airplane, it's mine and I own it. You get it here and hopefully, you know, these function when you get through with them. This is a kind of the basic, simple paper airplane. You know, and you take it like that and you just throw it. You thought I was going to throw that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that in the congregation. I'm not going to throw it. But, you know, I, I'm looking at it now, and I really don't like that one. <clears throat> you notice that it surprises some of the kids when I do that because, but I want to, want to show that because I make an airplane, it's mine. Well, you know, when you watch something being made, you kind of take ownership of it. Even if it's not yours, you take ownership of it. You know, and so, uh, you know, I, I want to make one a little bit better than I think I like, but we tend to do that in life. I know we'll go out, and my wife and I may go out and visit a home or a home being built, and the first thing she starts saying is, well, I wouldn't do it like that. I wouldn't put the kitchen here. I would do that. I went, this is not your house. <laughs> you know, she said, well, I know, but I, you know, and I, I, I'm the same way. I, you know, I see a paper airplane being built, and I'm going to say, well, I would do it. I would design it a little bit different than that. So we always take ownership, even when we see something being made that's not ours. Even 
regardless of what it is, you know, if you see somebody building a house or if I've got a car, the first thing I'll do is I've had a pickup. I have a truck back home, and I don't like other people's trucks. I like the ones that I've done the way I've set mine out. And so I build, you know, we all take ownership of something when we see it being made, especially, and we like it, and we do it our, our own way. I've got this one here is a little bit different. The design's a little bit different. And you, know, you, you take ownership of it, and I see some of the kids here ready, ready to see that last one fly. They want to see that last one fly. This one will probably fly a little better, and we'll practice it maybe after church. <clears throat> but I made this, and so that's the reason I didn't like the first one. I didn't, didn't want to use it, and, and I'm the author of it. I'm the creator of it. I'm the artist of that first one, and so I didn't like it. So I'm going to destroy it and throw it away, and I want one that I like a little better. I brought something with me here also this morning. This is something that Brother Steve has got a connection to and doesn't know it, but I have a little bowl here. I brought it because it's easier to bring than the coffee cup that I have. This is a bowl that was made by my sister-in-law years ago. She's now, she died of cancer. Her name was Gail, and Brother Stephen knew and helped her out when she was receiving cancer treatments up here in this area. He picked her up at the airport a number of times, but... Gail would uh, talk to me, as some people do, and she'll say, you know, can I make, she was a potter. She made a lot of pottery, a lot of different pottery and sold it, and became very professional at it, and she got a lot of publicity because of that. She wanted to make something for me, so I said, you know, I, this I use just to keep my change and stuff in at the end of the day, and put my stuff in that I want to take with me, that maybe my car keys. I asked her to really start me off with a coffee cup. Coffee cup's the same way, you just make it a little taller, and you put a handle on it. So she started making the cup, and I went, I like that. You know, and she was designing it for me, and she got to take a piece of mud, and you put it on a spinning wheel, and you start raising it up, and you make it taller, or whatever, and I said, I like the looks of that. And suddenly she just grabbed it and crushed it, like I did that airplane. And I went, no, I like that. She goes, but I'm the potter, and I'm the artist, and that's not what I want for you. That's not what I want to do for you. You can get your own part, we'll make one if you want one to yourself. But I'm making this one, this one's mine. She made this, this the same way. She made this cup for me. I liked it. I learned a lot what she made because I didn't have any say into it, you know. But when you know, when we see something being made that we like, we want to take ownership of that. We want to own it ourselves and say that's ours when we've got to respect the artist who made it. And that's sometimes what we don't do. We don't always respect the artist who made it or uh, what it's done. I'm going to take you now to the book of Romans. You know, sometimes when we go in this life, we get to saying, we hear people say about, well, I need to, you know, this is the, the Lord that I believe in. This is the God that I believe in. This is what I want to do. I have my life. It's mine. And I own myself. I own this. So I want to do with, it, with my life what I want. You know, and maybe I want to eat foods that I want to eat. Maybe I want to do things that I want to eat. You know, the Lord has provided us a guidebook. He made us and made our lives, and He sent with us an instruction manual. I don't necessarily want to follow that. I want to do what I want to do with my life, and so I want to eat the kind of foods I want to eat. If I go back and look at the Law of Moses, it tells me what foods are good for me. But now I can eat all the red meat I want, the pork I want, and I'll just take cholesterol drugs. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll do my life like I want, and then I'll try to address it. I'll eat all the sugar I want, then I'll just go take a lot of insulin. If I go back and read the book of Moses, the guidelines given in here, 
He tells us how He wants us to eat and take care of ourselves, the creatures that He's made. In the book of Romans, chapter 9, in verse 20 it says this, Shall the, saint, shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me so, thus? Lord, why have you made me like this? You know, I want to change what I am. I want to change what I do. I want to change who I am and how I go about handling things. Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Is this plane got a right to ask me, Why have you formed me like this? No. I'm the maker. Did I have a right with the potter to tell her? No. She's the potter. She has the right to determine why she formed me. Verse 21. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another vessel unto dishonor? The potter is the one that has the power to say, I don't like this and crush it and throw it away and start over again and create one of honor and one of dishonor. They have that power. Sometimes we don't think that about the Lord. We, won't, we don't necessarily like to do what He tells us, the instruction manual. He sent home with us. sent home with us, and we say, you know, I, I, I'll decide whether I want to accept the Lord. I may, accept, I may decide to accept Him and invite Him into my life. I, you know, but this is me, and I'm in control of myself. You know what? You're not. The Lord owns you. You're His. He's the potter, we're the clay. Sometimes we don't do that because our ego is we want to take we want to take charge of our own lives. <clears throat> and the book tells us, no, he's the potter and he's the clay, he's the potter and we're the clay. He gives us a lot of leeway within that boundaries, but the basic rules he set in place. But he owns us. He's the ownership of us, and I want to point out to you today the various ways that he owns you. He owns you, and we have to, and, and that's our first understanding we have to go through in this life, is He owns us. Now, you know, I still don't always follow His instructions like I should, but we need to understand He made us, He wrote the rules for us, and He owns us. And He has control, He has control, especially over our final destiny. While we're here on earth, He gives us some leeway in the decisions we make and the things that we do. Sometimes I wish he would take more control of the decisions I make than what happens to me all the time. I make some bad decisions in my life, and if I'd follow what the instructions of this book are, I'd make better decisions. But he owns us, and he controls us. He's the potter, and we're the clay. Let me give you, you know, sometimes we hear people say, I want to give my life to Christ. You know what? He's already got it. He already has your life. If you say, I want to give my life to Christ, He's already got it and He's already there. If, he's, if you want to give your life to Christ, that means he, you know you're recognizing that He already got your life. There are several ways that He takes ownership of you. He can take ownership of you. And I hope we can prove some of them through the Bible here. Book of Psalms, I'm going to go through several scriptures here, but the book of Psalms, chapter 100, verse 3. Know ye that the Lord, He is God... It is He that hath made us. He hath made us, and we are not ourselves, and and, and not we ourselves. We haven't made ourselves. He made us. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. He made us. We didn't make ourselves. We are the sheep of His pasture. He made us. We have to recognize that. That's the first thing we need to do is recognize that He made us. 
Let me go over here to Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16, verse 4. The Lord hath made all things for Himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. The Lord made everything. You know, sometimes we'll, I'll ask the question to kids, you know, about who's got the keys. You know, whoever has the keys is the one in control. Whoever's got the keys to the church, whoever's got the keys to the car, that's usually who has control. So I'll ask the kid, who's got the keys to heaven? Everybody will say, God does have the keys to heaven. Who's got the keys to hell? Well, Satan. No, he doesn't. The Lord doesn't have keys. Over in Revelation, he tells us he has the keys to hell and death. He has the keys to everything, to heaven, to hell, and to death. The Lord made things, even some things that are evil. The Lord has made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. He made everything we have. Go over in Genesis 1, chapter 1. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. He made everything. You know, if you want to own something, you make it. Uh, you know, paper airplanes. I went and bought the paper. I've got that. I made the planes. I made them myself. I made it. I own all the material. God made them because He owns all the materials. Where do you get the materials? You go down to 7-Eleven, or not 7-Eleven, the Home Depot or somewhere and buy the materials? No, there were no materials. That's the one thing that, that confuses a lot of people who believe so strongly in science, and I'm a strong believer in science. But they say, you know, well, it, it had to start somewhere. God made the materials so that then he had the materials to make the earth and make us. He made the earth. He made it, you know, he talks, you read the first few parts of Genesis. He started the earth was without form and was void, and then he made it and made the waters and, and the soils of continents, and then he took the dirt out of the continents and used it to make a man and woman with. Man from the soil and the woman from the man. We all came to the same thing, but the Lord made those. He made Adam out of the dirt, of the ground. And he had, but where did dirt come from? Well, the Lord made it too. He made everything. He made us from start to finish. He made us. He owns us because he made us. Let me go to, uh, I just, I was going to, uh, the other one would be Romans. Over in Romans, uh, he made us because he's the potter that made us. He's the artist that created us and made us. So he owns us because Bible is very clear. He made us. You know, you also can own something because you buy it. If you go down to the store and you want something, you go down to the store, you decide you want to buy something. <clears throat> you save the money up and you go and you may go buy a car. Once you get a car, once you get it paid for, you own it because you bought it. <clears throat> First Corinthians uh, chapter. Six. Let me start with verse seventeen. Be he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Your body and your spirit are both God's. He owns us. Again, this is the first thing we need to do to recognize that how the, how the Lord intended for us to function. He intended us to function as creations of Him. You know, 
I think this is my body. I'll do with it what I want. I'll, I'll fix how I want. I eat what I want. I'll do the things I want. And I need to recognize, first of all, that I'm his creature. He created me, and he sent me home with an instruction manual. It helps when I go read the instruction manual to see how it is I should handle this. Just like a car, just like anything else that's made. He's given us this wonderful instruction manual. Go to the book of Acts, chapter 20. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, verse 28, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. The church, that's you. That's the elect of God. That's his children. He purchased you with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter into among you and spring among your flocks, and also as your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw the disciples after them. But he tells us he purchased you with his own blood. Verse In Timothy chapter 2, Christ it says Christ was the ransom for you. He put himself up as the ransom for you. He bought you. Ransom means that he went and bought you and paid for you. He, he ransomed himself for your benefit. He bought and paid for you. Let me go to Psalms. Number 107. 107 verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. He redeemed you. He paid for you. He bought you. So he owned you in that regard. He redeemed uh, from the curse of the law. And the Galatians tell you that you were under the law and he redeemed you out from under that with grace. He himself redeemed you, which means he bought you. He owns you. He has complete ownership of us. First Peter uh, 1.18 says that you were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. <clears throat> in that regard, in number one, he, he owns you because he made you. He owns you because he paid for you. He bought you. He has paid for you with his own blood. You can also be redeemed. I mean, you can also be owned by him if you are, uh, I guess I'll call it a gift. If he got you by gift, you get something by gift. You know, Christmas, you know, we all hopefully get Christmas presents. And when someone gives you something, they give up that ownership and they give it to you. <clears throat> Christ has you because you're a gift. He was a gift to him. You were a gift to him. Chapter John chapter 10, verse, and verse, chapter 10, verse 25. Jesus said, I told you, and you believe me not, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness to me. But ye believe not, because you are not my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me. Christ has you because the Lord gave you to him. He got it because you he, he has been given it to you him by God. Back up a couple of chapters to John chapter 6. Christ says this, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. The Lord who made you gave you to Christ. Christ is safekeeping, and he's done a good job of it. Safekeeping, caregiving, and he's the one that, then when he, he, number one, the Lord made you. 
Christ has redeemed himself, bought you with his precious blood. He says here that also you have been given to him by the Lord. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will that have sent me, that of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing. He said, I'm not going to lose a thing that's been given to me. So he has, you have been given to him. You are a gift of his. I'm going to get one more over here in John chapter 17. And when he's praying in the garden of Gethsemane, he says, And now, O Father, glorify me. That's not what I said. First part of 17. Oh, okay. Verse 9. He says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but I pray for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. He's praying to the Lord here. And he says, I'm praying I'm taking care for all of those that you gave to me. Again, <clears throat> You don't own yourselves because you have... He's taken ownership because, number one, God made you. Christ redeemed you and paid for you, bought you with his own blood. <clears throat> he has been given to given you uh, by the Lord himself, so as it's been given him a gift. You know, none of this involves you. All these transactions we're talking about were the transaction of creation, the transaction of purchase, the transaction of gift. You're not involved in any of these. This is either between God or God in Christ. <clears throat> and God made you the creator, and he has given this to you, given you to Jesus Christ. But again, you don't own you. Also, we know under the law you can have be owned because you may inherit something. All of you, that you know, if you're a child of somebody and they die and have a, either have a will or if your parents die without a will, you may inherit something. And once you inherit it, legally, it's yours. You may inherit a house. That house title is turned over to you because you inherited it legally. Well, here in the book of Hebrews, it says, uh, God, who at sundry times, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in the times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these days spoken unto us by his Son. God spoke by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. Everything God created, he's made Christ his heir. He created you. So Christ also got you to be being heir. He purchased you his own price. It was gifted to him by his son. <clears throat> you know, we, we believe in the three in one Godhead, the God and Father and the Holy Ghost. They're three in one. They manifest themselves in different ways. God the Father manifested himself by creating you. He was a creator. Christ came, and he's an heir. Now he received you by inheritance. He was given to you by the Lord, and he purchased you with his own blood. So you can also, you're also his because he inherited you. Every possible way you can have ownership, Christ was given ownership of you. You can also do it another way in which, and I've been benefited this myself, is that you can be adopted by way of adoption. I have a child that... Uh, my wife and I had children, and the doctor had one child, and the doctors told us we didn't need to have any more. So we adopted a daughter from that. So I understand adoption, and that child became mine legally. Well, you can also own something by way of adoption. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the pleasure of his will. You know, I willfully adopted my daughter. And it says Christ willfully adopted the children. 
you, his children, he adopted you. He became legally owner of you by virtue of adoptions. Book of Romans. Wrong, wrong direction for Romans. Romans chapter 8. Verse 23. Let me back up a verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. We have been adopted by Christ. We have been adopted, and therefore He owns us. Go to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. But when the foot and verse 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made under, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. <clears throat> he owns you because He made you. He owns you because He bought you. He owns you because he, you were gifted to Him. He owns you because you were adopted. There's several other ways. You know, we were... Uh, if you go out in the wild and you capture a wild animal, uh, you know, in, in Texas, we, a, lot, a lot of people go out here lately and catch a lot of feral hogs. You, you got them, you, you coyotes and rabbits and things in the wild. You capture If you capture them under the law of capture, you own that. Well, he, he, he took us captive from the law of sin and death. He, he captured us by virtue of that. <clears throat> if you find something, if something is lost, and you find it. You remember the, the verse out of we sang uh, Amazing Grace? I once was lost, but now I'm found. You were lost and he found you. So he owns you by that. Let me look at the law of capture over uh, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. This is under the capture. Let me back up. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he said, when he hath ascended upon high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. He took you captive away from the captivity you were under of sin. We're all, because we're all by nature inheritance of sin from Adam, he took us out of that because he came and he took the captivity, he took the captive of sin and took it captive himself and took you with it. He's the one that has given you the spirit of grace through his capture of sin. Every possible way that you can own something under the, legally or, or realistic or really and practically, every possible way that he could own you, he owns you completely and totally. It's important we understand that concept so then we realize how do we approach that. The Lord owns us. He gives a certain amount of freedom, but he owns us and he controls us. You know, sometimes we wonder, well, you know, a lot of people have our, our this trouble with this doctrine of depravity, that all men are basically depraved until the Lord puts himself in us, till he calls us, makes us born again, puts himself in us. People say with that, your doctrine, though, in predestination, you don't give everybody a chance. And our answer to that is, no, we don't, and thank goodness the Lord doesn't give everybody a chance. If I had a chance, which I don't like chance, that implies gambling, but if I had a chance, I'd never get there. If I had a chance to get to heaven, that means I also got a chance to go to hell. And the Lord saves us from that. 
he has a, uh, it's, it's a difficult doctrine for some people to understand, but he tells us, you know, in the book of Romans, Esau, how uh, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. People have trouble with that doctrine. They say, well, that's Christ picking and choosing, and you don't make the decision. That's correct. We don't make the decision. We're the clay. He's the potter. He makes those big decisions for us, especially on our eternal salvation. Uh, we have a difficulty understanding this concept, and I said it's important that you understand this before then you understand the reality of our eternal salvation. Thank goodness it's in the hands of the Lord. He's taken it out of our hands. And if we learn, people say, well, you know, how do you ever get to heaven then if it's, if it's going to be up to you and we have the doctrine of depravity? We get to heaven because of His love and His mercy, and we're told. You know, people get to that and they think, well, hell's going to be full and heaven won't have very many people in it at all. It's exactly the opposite. There's going to be more people in heaven than there are sands of the seashore and stars in the sky because of His love. Heaven's going to be huge. If you notice, every time it talks about the size of heaven in the Bible, it talks about a body place so big you can't number everybody in it. You can't count them. Like trying to count the uh, stars in heaven or the sand by the seashore. Go down to the seashore and try to count all the sand. You can't do it. That's how the comparison. When he gives us the comparison of how big hell's going to be, it's always a confined amount. It's a lake of fire. It's a control limit. You, know, you, can, you, you can see it's put a controls on it. When it talks about the size of heaven, the people in heaven, it's immeasurable. It's an innumerable. It's not a worry we have to have. And that decision was made before the foundation of the world. If you're, you know, I don't know whose name's in the last book of life. We're not to be told that. But they give us some indicators. From my perspective, you're here in this church this morning. Something has brought you to this church this morning that tells me you're a child of God. Apostle Paul tells us we have the blessed assurance. <clears throat> That's where we get that song from that we sang this morning. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. You're singing that song. You understand that. It means you, I, I'm going to say your name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's gospel by Richards. <clears throat> but he gives us we do have those type of assurances that you're a child of God. If you're, if you're once you become uh, a believer, you know, one of the first things say, well, you need to go accept Christ. If you believe, that's not a bad thing to say, if you need to go accept Christ. What that means, though, is he's already accepted you. You wouldn't have that feeling if he hadn't already accepted you first. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about being called or born again. You know, we have these preachers on TV that'll tell you, if you're not born again, you better go get yourself born again. <clears throat> That's not something you have. If you go read John 3, you'll see you have absolutely no control over that. He controls that completely and totally. So <clears throat> what I want to prove this morning, and it may even involve the children a little bit, is that he is like the potter. He's like the the... the Maker of the artist that makes anything, he is in complete control of us. He owns us completely because of everything that he does for us, everything he's done for us from since before, before the foundation of the world. I appreciate your kind attention and my prayers that the Lord will wish to bless you. I'll uh, we'll work on these a little bit more after church is over.